Uh, hey, so what's the situation? So as we record, and and we're gonna do, I'm gonna do my best to get this show out tonight. Okay. Uh, this is Thursday, the. Uh, 26th so that people can listen while they're they're st- staying up late for pre-orders <laughs> but let me let me double check with you because i feel like you've got a better sense of these things i am correct that tonight at three in the morning on the east coast yes. is when iphone 10 goes on sale yeah absolutely <laughs> every time because they say Friday, and you think oh Friday at midnight okay there you go but it's what they really mean is uh uh, Friday at twelve oh one, you know, like technically yeah. Friday, but literally twelve a.m. Pacific Coast time. So I haven't been in this boat. Uh, I don't even remember the last time I was in this boat. I don't know why. I don't remember when I ordered my iPhone sevens last year. Uh, I don't think I stayed up till three in the morning to do it, though. I don't know why. And then in years prior, I was at the. XOXO conference in Portland, which is on the West coast and up, you know, like socializing with friends and we'd all like as a group, it was a whole bunch of, of nerds and we'd all like have our timer set. And at 1155, everybody would put their drinks down and fire up the, the, uh, the Apple store on their phones and get ready to order. Everybody was ordering phones together. So now I've got to stay up till three in the morning uh, to do this. Is, is that is that the same situation in Canada? Yeah, I, was, I love how you said stay up and not wake up as well. <laughs> oh, this is no question for me because <laughs> the internet is full of all, you know all our friends putting up the pictures of their nine or ten alarms they've set for every minute before midnight or three a.m. If I there's no chance that I if I <laughs> went to sleep before three a.m. there is no chance that I, I any alarm would wake me up. Uh, no and way. I've tried the like, because you go there at midnight or you go there at three a.m. Um, and you think that it's going to be up and it's often delayed by several minutes. I think one time it was fifteen or twenty minutes before it actually started working. Yeah, it's and I think this one is going to be the shit show to end all shit shows <laughs> personally because I feel like uh, every you know there's more excitement about the iPhone 10 than any iPhone in recent years probably at least since the iPhone 6 and 6 plus when they first went to a bigger size yep. and there was pent up demand but even then I feel like a lot of that pent up demand for the iPhone 6 and the 6 plus was not really in from the enthusiast crowd but was truly from the mass market that you know that that just regular people were like i i want a bigger phone i heard apple's coming out with a bigger phone so i'm gonna wait and it wasn't really a buy it the first day at at 12 midnight pacific it was just sort of buy it in october november december when it first whenever their contract recycled or or was convenient right yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah. Whereas this one, it feels like it just feels like everybody who follows me on Twitter is buying <laughs> one tonight. And it's also interesting because it's it's like the return of the lineup. Because for years, uh, marketing has been at war with not at war, but you know they've had this thing with with retail where the lineups get a lot of attention, but it's a bad customer experience. And since Angela Aaron's arrived, she's been doing everything possible to uh, reduce the lineups or eliminate the lineups. And it also solves scalping and a bunch of other issues. But now people are legitimately going to line up and super early again because on the off chance they can't or just won't or, or don't manage to order successfully, they want to be there right when the Apple Store opens to grab whatever stock they can. I think that's nuts. I, I was It was so funny because I was talking to somebody just 
either yesterday or the day before, I think it was yesterday, uh, I was chatting with somebody and they were like, are they, they're not even going to do the store thing, right? Because the quantities are going to be so low. And I was like, you know, I don't know. And, and, uh, I, I was going to ping somebody at Apple just to ask like, Hey, what's the plan? And I realized that they just like, while I was chatting with my friend posted to their newsroom blog, here's, here's the deal. Uh, and they are in fact going to, uh, have, have, (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> probably like one iPhone 10 per retail store. <laughs> it's and it's amazing to me that they're doing. I think it's 55 countries because if the supplies were really or are as really as constrained as we all heard that they are, doing things like I forget what it's like Andaloria or something in 55 other yeah. Guernsey. Like is Guernsey getting one iPhone? I, I, I never even heard of that country. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, honestly, or Jersey. I don't know how to pronounce it. I might be slaughtering. The, I don't know. I, I it, at one point in tenth grade we had to uh, uh, we had a, a, a history class where we learned about all the countries in the world and one of the exams was we got a blank map of the world and we had to fill in every country in the world <laughs> so at one point I knew every country in the world but I feel like in the in inner in the interceding uh, twenty five years I feel like there's like a bunch of countries like rebranded or something I, I don't they know. did. <laughs> <laughs> Ireland, Isle of Man, Monaco, Mexico, Russia, the Netherlands, Slovenia, Slovakia, Spain, uh, Andorra, Australia. Australia. It just there's so many countries for a phone that we think is going to be in such Latvia, Kuwait, Liechtenstein, Lithuania, Luxembourg, yeah. Malta. I mean, uh, it doesn't. It, it's like you said. It doesn't really. It doesn't jibe with the rampant rumors that uh, that supply is going to be extremely constrained. And you don't even have to have your own sources in the supply chain to speculate that supplies are going to be constrained because obviously the phone is late. I mean, ideally, if everything had gone according to uh, Apple's wishes, they would have it would have shipped you know, alongside the iPhone 8 a month ago. Right, and they're not doing it the way they have certain launches like Apple Watch or iPad where they they, they lock it down to maybe four or five countries, like maybe the US, the UK, Australia, China, you know, one or two others. They it, It's a typical launch for them. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to square those two things. Like it, it's, you know, it, it, is it really going to be just a token launch where it, it, it I don't know. I, 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 this is one of those things where I just do not know what to expect. Yeah. I, I, I totally think that it, it, if I had to bet, I would bet that if you get bad luck tonight in the reloadapple.com uh, or store.apple.com website and you, you reload at the wrong minute and maybe something hiccups and your thing doesn't go through and then you reload again and all of a sudden it's two minutes after yep. midnight, you're, you're looking at four to six weeks. Or you like, pick I black be, and I, it's four to six weeks and you go back and try to think of white might be sooner and white's actually later than right. you go back to blackness even later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that you, you know, you better get this stuff queued up. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you get bad luck, it, I, but who knows? Maybe not. Maybe, you know, maybe Apple will surprise us and there will be, I don't know, a, a, enough millions on day one to... Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. No matter what, by the morning, by Friday morning, it's going to be backordered by weeks. I mean, that that, that seems inevitable. Um, but maybe they'll have enough millions that you know that it really you know will be a legitimate 55 country launch. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know what to do. 
A lot What's of your coffee. plan? Uh, a lot of coffee, and I'll stay. I've done this before. I think one time we were at an event, and I actually had to do it either the night after or the right after the event while I was while I was in an Uber, <laughs> trying to get back to back to the hotel. And it's always stressful. But I just get up. Um, I make sure I favorite it in advance in the Apple Store app so that it's right ready to go when I load up the app. Uh, and then I refresh it. I force quit it if I have to, if it's not loading. And then I keep trying until it loads, and I just get my order in as soon as I can. Generally, I've been lucky I, with that. I don't know if it's if it's voodoo, if it's just uh, you know a, a, a too small of a, a data set. You know that it's just my own personal experience. I personally find that the iOS app, the Apple Store app on iOS, is seems like the way to go. Yeah. And like you said, like get it in there, favorite it, so that you can refresh it right at twelve oh one and get through i find that it works better than the website now I, can i prove that you know i, I don't know and in general it, it, for you know for most things i find that going on a on a mac in a browser to the a website is a more reliable way to get something done quickly you know that i can type faster and stuff like that but since everything is already stored in it, the app it kind of is just sort of a tap 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 and you're not really it's not like you have to type out your credit card or whatever you can just use apple pay yeah so it's it, it can go pretty quickly and i don't know what it's like in the u.s but here there's on most credit cards there's a hundred dollar limit on apple pay so i set up an american express just for apple for apple pay and there's no limit on that i know we don't have a limit okay like that. i just bought uh uh, well, I don't know. Maybe there is a limit, but I know it's not a hundred dollars because I just bought a uh, uh, a four hundred dollar SSD okay. hard drive from Apple yesterday on Apple Pay. See, that's the and best I was, thing. I, I always test drive it first, just in case there's something wrong with your address or Apple Pay is not working. <laughs> or I, I don't want to find that out when I'm ordering an iPhone. I'll do that with a a cable or a watch band or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm already nervous. <laughs> yeah, and I keep the website open too. And the thing is, it's it's never twelve o'clock. So I just I refresh and I refresh over and over again. And I feel like it's your willingness to refresh until the exact moment that it actually comes live that indicates whether you're going to get it or not. Right. Um. <laughs> like a psychological experiment. Uh. <laughs> I remember one time I said uh, in years past what it, the the at least for two or three years where, where the XO, XOXO conference was running out in Portland, it was the weekend after the event for iPhones. And so my pattern for those years was I would fly out to California on mm. Monday. There'd be a Tuesday event where they would unveil new iPhones. Uh, they would go on pre-order that Friday, four days after the event, but instead of flying east, I would just stay on the West Coast and then meet my wife up. You know, my wife would fly to Portland on her own. And then we'd be in Portland for the weekend. But on Thursday night, we would pre-order iPhones. Um, and, and it's just so crazy. I remember the one time we were, it was, like I said, it was like four, five, six people all doing the same thing at once. And it was like, I got mine. I got mine. And the next person over is like, what? Ah. And it's, and then all of a sudden uh, they get through and they're like four to six weeks. Yep. <laughs> and, and it's that, you know, literally side by side using the same cell towers with the same app. 
it's it's crazy. My favorite was uh, I think it was iPhone 11, where a mutual uh, jerk acquaintance of ours set up his brand new conference for literally the morning after the the launch, <laughs> and I was in line all night, had to go buy it, and then go to the jerk's conference right away, and I just didn't sleep that entire day. And I think like people like Marco were trying to decide if it was better to just try to order it or just walk down the street and whether the exchange rate made it cheaper for them or not. You know what? I, and I do feel like uh, – and one of the things that, that people forget, I think I, – I, I even I sort of forget the schedule sometimes. But that the, um, the reviews for uh, new phones always come out, at least in my memory, always come out after the pre-orders yeah. start. Um, and, and like with the iPhone eight, it was like, here's the event and the people who got review units immediately got them either like that afternoon or the next day. And the embargo on the reviews was like a week later, but the presale started that Friday, just like usual. Mm -hmm. Um, so the pre-orders always, at least in my memory, uh, maybe in ancient history, like 10 nine, 10 years ago, it was different. But in the recent years, um, the pre-orders always start before the reviews. Um, and, and in this case, there's so much new with iPhone 10. Uh, I mean, I mean, literally it's like the entire point of the product is that it's, it, it really is sort of a rethinking of what an iPhone is. And so people have legitimate questions, you know, is face ID all it's cooked up to be? Is it, you know, is this, is this a good, iPhone, honestly, um, nobody knows. But yeah. I feel like it's not that big of a risk to pre-order because a you can cancel. It's not going to. It's not like they're going to ship them out. They don't ship till next Friday. So if like reviews come out next week, and it turns out to you know you like read these reviews and you're like, ooh, that that sounds terrible. You could cancel. Um, but the other thing is, it, it seems like a sure thing that you'll be able to resell the thing, especially if you keep it new in box. You'll yeah. probably turn a nice profit on it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is that I think Apple just uh, assumes that anyone who's going to pre-order is a diehard, sure bet. You know, they're going to buy it no matter what. They're just an early adopter, uh, right. and and they just want it. And it's the people who, once it's in retail, who aren't certain or on the fence, uh, and, and just to maintain sort of the the hype cycle from the order to make sure people know that it's in stores. All the reviews are queued up for the, queued up for then. Hmm. Um. Because yeah, all they'll I, do I is, know. I mean, I know it's it, it's totally in their interest, but all it would do to have reviews before the pre-orders is opt people out. It would just it would give people reasons not to buy it. Uh, I think right. they'd much rather do that before the the retail because it might, it might opt people in rather than or or qualify them in. I forget what the marketing term is uh, before they can actually go to the store and buy it. Yeah. Um. So what are you gonna what are you gonna pre-order? Uh, two hundred fifty-six gig uh, space space gray uh, because I like the idea of the vapor coating on the stainless steel. I don't I don't I'm not like Greg Koenig smart. I don't know if that's the same as the DLC coating. I know DLC is a type of vapor coating, but this just says vapor coating. But when I saw it at the event, I liked the silver one was so shiny. It was like original iPhone. It's the closest I've seen yep. to original iPhone shiny, uh, and I really like that. But just the the black the space gray look was nice and stealth and goes with my watch. And I'm just that shallow. Yeah, I always I always order black. I mean that's that way I don't have to second guess myself. So yeah, it doesn't matter the on the front this time. This time the front is the no. notches are all black, so you can't go wrong. Right, right. And I really do. I, I genuinely dislike the white faces on iPads and iPhones. I really do. I, I just don't like that look of a uh, 
black screen with a white face. The Although, panda you know, look. but it, yeah, I just don't like it. But, uh, you know, my wife loves it. I know yeah. lots of people love it. It's obviously, you know, they've kept with it ever since they started, you know, so it's obviously popular. But I do think that's interesting, though. Um, and, and, you know, and I think it speaks to that. Uh, uh, I, I just feel like you almost couldn't do white with that notch design. I mean, and and again, staying away from the entire subjective opinion of what you think of the notch, I don't think it would work with white. I think it, it it just has to be black. Yeah. Cause if the whole, the whole way it works internally is that the, the, it is a full screen. Like when you see the multitasking and the app shrinks down to its card view, it's not cut out. The app's fully all the way across on the top. It's just behind there. And I think, it, it, it sort of would draw a lot of attention to it being there yeah. if it was bright. Yeah. Uh, so it's at least a maybe for me to order the silver. I guess they're not really calling it white. They're calling it space gray and yeah. silver. Uh, and I do like the um, I do like the silver look on the sides. And I it totally, I, mean, I think it's deliberate, but it, yeah. it definitely harkens back to the original iPhone. Yeah. And the I, silver... It's so funny, though, looking at the original iPhone. Like, I've gotten mine out, you know, to look at it. And I still love it. I, I do think it really is one of the best objects, it, you know, that I've ever owned in my life as a, as a design piece. I really do think it, you know, 100 years from now, it'll be in, you know, a museum. Yeah. Um, but it's funny looking at how many pieces there are. <laughs> Right, because the silver thing around the display was totally separate from the sides. You know, yes. it was, it, it, it's like an entire extra piece was this silver thing around the screen before it even gets to the sides. Yeah, and then the big antenna window at the bottom to let the RF signals out. And yeah, yeah, but I kind of like that. I like that. I, I almost feel like it looks better with that big black antenna window at the bottom. There's something about it that to me. Uh, even though I realize it's a concession yeah. and that in theory, if they could have just made the back, just one piece of aluminum, they would have, uh, but there's something about it that I like. I don't know. It's like pants on your iPhone. It just doesn't look naked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the look of the, uh, the new pixel twos in the same way, you know, like I kind of feel like, uh, at, at least the one that they're calling the Panda, you know, the white yeah. one with the black window at the top, I kind of feel like they're, it's a way of owning the fact that they couldn't do all one material on the back, that they needed a window. Whereas the original Pixel, which I own, I have the the black one or whatever they call whatever goofy color yeah. name they gave it. Not um, quite black or something. Yeah, whatever goofy name they use. But <laughs> it it the last year's one, the black one, it it it, it it's just it seems weird that there's two materials on the back. The whole Whereas thing is weird. Like the, I feel like the new one where, where they own it and have it like as a totally separate color is, is a better design. I had the original. I mean, Serenity borrowed it uh, a month or so ago, but I had the, the original one. And I used it up until uh, a month or, or two ago. And it was just it was a weird product and it's a total tangent. But I have this, this, this pet peeve that the reality distortion field around Google is way bigger than Apple's has been for years. And yet they don't get called on it because that was the first phone designed by Google. But it's clearly using HTC design, like industrial design. Hmm. 
And people often say, well, it's like Apple uses Foxconn. But no, no, Foxconn designers have nothing to do with iPhone. They have zero input in it, where HTC right. had a lot of input in that. And you can see there's antenna lines and a big RF window, and it's like almost layered on top of each other in a, in a rather haphazard fashion. So I'm glad they yeah. sort of cleaned that up a lot with uh, Pixel 2 XL. Yeah. Well, we can get into that in a minute. Uh, but let me take a break here and, uh, and thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at Fracture. Fracture is a photo decor company that's out to rescue your favorite image is from the digital ether. You've got, I, we're talking about iPhones, we're talking about cameras. I'm sure that whoever you are, dear listener of the talk show, your phone is chock full of photos. I'll bet when you go and check out the storage on your phone that the number one, uh, uh, number one thing taking up storage on your phone are your photos. Uh, guess what? That's great. I love having them on my phone, too. I love being able to look up photos from months ago or years ago right there on my phone. But do you know where you really want your best photos? You want them hanging on your wall in your house or your home or in your office on your desk. Print them out in, in, in real analog, and you'll, you'll, they'll just it, – it's, it's absolutely amazing how good modern cell phone images look when they're printed out really big. It's just crazy that it blows my mind how good they can look when they're printed really big. Well, guess what? The best way to get your photos printed is Fracture. You send them your photos. They print them directly onto glass, and they add a laser-cut rigid backing. So they're ready to display right out of the box, and they are edge-to-edge. There is absolutely – we talk about bezels on these phones, and we can argue about – how big the bezel is on the iPhone 10. There's no bezel on a fracture print. It is literally edge to edge, corner to corner, and it looks so great. Uh, it's my favorite way to, to print photos. I can't imagine going back to the old days of, of printing them on paper or take, getting them printed on paper somehow and putting them into a frame. And what, what a pain in the ass that is. Uh, fracture, you don't have any work to do. You just send them, send them your images. They mail them back to you, print it on glass, and then they're ready to hang right on your wall or prop them up on your desk or, or whatever size you get. Um, it's just fantastic. And it is, I repeat this every year, it is a fantastic gift idea. Now, here's the fact. It, we're, I, I hate to be that guy who brings up the holiday season before Halloween, uh, but Fracture always gets backed up by the beginning of December. It's too late. You can't, you can't get them as a last-minute gift idea. So I'll tell you right now, think of the people who would love Fracture images in your family. If you've got kids or pets or whatever, uh, think of them now. Write them down on a list and go do it now, like at the end of October or November, and you'll have fantastic uh, gifts already in the bag. You don't even have to worry about it. Um, and they come with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you'll be sure to love your order. Every fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida, from U.S. source materials, and they have a carbon-neutral factory, so you can feel good about that, too. Here's where you go to find out. And you get 10% off your first order. Um, if you go to FractureMe.com, FractureMe.com slash podcast. That's all they want. They don't want a specific code for this show, just slash podcast. And uh, then you just mentioned the talk show. When you place your order, they have a one-question survey, which is, where'd you hear about Fracture? Uh, answer it then, and it'll help the show. FractureMe.com slash podcast. Go buy some Fractures. All right, let's, let's shelve the Pixel 2 discussion for a second. Yep. Let's keep it in the back of our minds. But uh, let's finish off the iPhone X. I, I, I'm going to get the uh, this base gray one. Um, but I kind of wish, there's a part of me that wishes that the space gray back came with that silver side. Yes. 
Yeah. I don't know why. I, I kind of see why they didn't do that because it's kind of that way that they, they do look different because otherwise they wouldn't look different from the front. And maybe I'll grow to love that, that dark side. But uh, I actually wasn't sure about what the coding was. I don't think it's the same as DLC. No, it's a DLC. I, I, again, I would, we would need someone like Greg to explain it. But DLC is right. a kind of vapor, but not all vapor is DLC. Right. Uh, I will say, I mean, I, I still have my original uh, DLC coded space black Apple Watch, the, the original Same, one. Same, yeah. And, and I'm telling you, if I wipe it on my T-shirt, uh, it, it it looks like I could take it back to the store as new in box. I mean, it, there is literally, the, thanks to the sapphire crystal on the front and this DLC coating on the side, I mean, like, it, it, even under, like, a loop, there are no scratches on that. It is absolutely, like, indestructible. I still have the band. I still wear the band. And I, I think we talked about this before, but every time I think that I've scratched it or hurt it in some way, it turns out, like, it's a bit of stone or other steel that it took yep. off a wall or something as I walked by. Yeah, we have talked about this. It is true. That's absolutely true. Like I've got some marks on mine, but I'm it, it, it run it under hot water and yep. and and you know a little bit of soap or rub it or whatever, and it it comes off. And again, you could <laughs> I could take the bracelet back and be like, hey, I need to exchange this. It's I didn't I never wore it. Yeah, it's so tough. It's like Captain America Shield tough. So I doubt that the iPhone has that coating, but. It'll be interesting. It will be. I, I am interested to see because have they ever had stainless steel on an iPhone? I think iPhone 4, the bands were stainless steel. Uh, I think it was the same stainless steel and glass sandwich that we're getting this mm. year. But that I was think, sort of a brushed stainless yes. steel. Or, or in fact, it was not even sort of. It was a brushed yep. stainless steel. So I don't feel like... like that. My curiosity is whether this is going to be susceptible to scratching sort of the way that old... Uh, iPods were because the iPods, the original ones, like when the click wheel era had stainless steel backs, right? Yeah, the early iPod touches as well. And mine, uh, to me, it's like a Millennium Falcon thing. It's just, I, I'm just, you have to, or that book, the Johnny Ive book that came out, that you just have right. to accept worn technology at some point, or you'll drive yourself right. a little bit nuts trying to stop it from getting any scratch ever. Right. I, I've been thinking, I, I don't know if I'll have time, but I've been thinking before the iPhone 10 comes out of, of re reviewing my jet black iphone 7 uh because it truly is one of my favorite iphones that i've ever owned it's my by far and away my favorite since they went big the only one you know the last one i had this much affection for at, at the end of its life as i was getting ready to take take hold of a new one uh was the uh the iphone 5s yeah, yeah. um I wanted to re-review the original because it's the only one I've never reviewed. And just somehow we got so busy between September and now, I didn't have time. Right. Uh, my thoughts on the iPhone. So the Jet Black thing, when it was new last year, the big thing was that Apple even on their website said, mm -hmm. hey, this thing is going to pick up uh, uh, what Micro did, was abrasions. Apple's... Microabrasions was their their euphemism, but it actually it, it, I, it is a euphemism. But I actually feel like it is justified. One year in of heavy use, almost never in a case. The only time I ever had it in a case was uh, just you know uh, like my review unit came with a case, and so I tried it just to see what it was you know see what the case was mm -hmm. like. I just don't like them. Uh, so like ninety eight percent of the lifespan of this phone has been without a case. And it is the back is covered with fine scratches, yeah. but I I wouldn't call them scratches. I would say micro abrasions is actually a much better term. Yeah. There actually are a few actual real scratches, 
but it, most of the marks on the back are you really have to look at them in just the right light to get like a reflection um and and you know i don't mind them at all i i kind of like it it's yeah it, it's very different it's almost like a texture it's like in leather they never say it's stained they say it's patinaed and yeah. i look forward to getting all indiana jones like with age and that's sort of what it felt like to me like this this aluminum would age as opposed right. to the other ones which would just like look scratched yeah and and it's you know this jet black finish was obviously ahead of its time mm-hmm. uh, and i've done this because i have the review units for the iphone 8 and um with my eyes closed i i i can't tell the difference between the the jet black finish and the glass of the iphone 8 at at least at room temperature i feel like maybe it, you know if i if it was cold or something i could feel the difference between aluminum and glass but it's a very similar feeling to the glass of all of this year's new iPhones, the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10. To me, it's slightly tackier. There's a tackiness to the Jet Black yeah. that I haven't felt on any other iPhone. Yeah, and it's it's definitely partly why I have such an affinity for it is that I just feel like ever since they got big, and I've never been a plus, I've never been in the, yeah. what do they call it, the plus club. <laughs> even even with the 4.7, the combination of the aluminum and the rounded sides just makes it so much less sturdy in, in grip than the iPhone uh, 5, 5S, and, and SE. Yeah, I've used since iPhone six plus. I have never gone back. Like I've used them just to review them, and I, I'll go back and forth to do camera tests and things. But I stuck with the plus the entire time. I haven't had a problem with them, but I did notice going to the eight because the eight is is pure glass. That if um if I put it on a table, it's fine. It's not like a Nexus four where if you put it in the middle of a dining room table an hour later, it will fall off the edge. But if you put it like on a sofa on the edge of a sofa, my iPhone seven will would have sat there for three or four days, where the iPhone eight will find its way to the floor within a matter of an hour or so. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm ordering uh, the space black. Uh, my wife will be getting the silver. Nice. Uh, I really hope. Uh, this is always my fear. My fear is that my order will go through and hers won't. Because <laughs> are you doing it separately? You don't have to do both, right? No, I think because I, I think it's easier to just say replace this phone. Okay. So yeah. we always tend to do it separately. Uh, that's a good question, though. That's good too know. because you, like that way, if you order yours first and then order hers, you're not, and it comes no, later. No, no, yeah. no. I think we'll be doing it simultaneously. Yeah. Um, but that's the other question I know people have is is in, the other question besides Apple dot com versus the iOS app, Apple Store app is should you do it through your carrier instead? Should you uh, go yeah. through your carrier and. I I feel like it's another one of those things where who knows, you know what I mean? Like my guess is no, but who knows? You know what I mean? Like, so anybody, if you are happen to be listening to this podcast before, before the pre-orders start and, and it turns out that the Apple store completely collapses and like AT&T and Verizon have plenty of units to go around and you missed out. Don't, don't blame me. I mean, I'm saying, (laughs) I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I, I have never I, had I, luck going with the carrier because always something seems to break down. So I've just gotten used to buying factories, you know, SIM unlocked right from Apple as soon as it becomes available. Hmm. But uh, if you don't pre-order or you get such a delayed date that you want to try your luck at retail, it, it, if you don't get there super early and there's a long line in the Apple store, it will it will behoove you to go to your carrier store because they might have some inventory, even a Best Buy, and have very little yeah. lineup because everybody in the mall is already at the Apple store. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like if you're going to try to sneak it in on next Friday, yeah. November 3rd, the last place to go is the Apple Store, and unless you're one of these nuts who wants to <laughs> camp out for a week. I've heard somebody told me that there's already people camping out at some of these stores. I, I, mean, I think weeks talking, ago, but there's often paid people, like people who are paid as a publicity stunt to be there with a sign or something, and then they just take rotating shifts. Yeah. Uh, and that's the other, the X factor in all of this, in addition to all of the enthusiasts who just want to get one uh, right away. And in fact, I feel like, cause I feel like it's going to get back ordered four to six weeks quickly, even if it's not like, Oh, I need one on, on Friday, November 3rd. Yeah. Even if you just want one this year, yeah. you kind of have to pre-order tonight. I mean, I, I really feel like it, it re- will be the case that if you don't pre-order tonight, you might be looking at, at early 2018 delivery. Yeah, but but the X factor in this is the the gray market, the scalpers, the, the resellers, yeah, the scalpers, and, and and that's another funny thing about having been in Portland for the pre order uh, uh, date. Um, the one year we were there, I don't know why that was. I guess it wasn't even pre orders, but that they went on sale right away. Wasn't there one year where where it was like it it, it, it was like pre orders and availability were the same date. It must have been because what I remember specifically is that our hotel was right across the street from a big mall in downtown Portland and there were there's an Apple store in the mall and there were people lined up literally around the block yeah. overnight and every one of them was Asian and it turned out a lot of them didn't even speak English and they were just they were all just buying them to you know uh, on behest of middlemen who were going to ship them all to China. Yeah, no, totally. I think I think the pre-order started later. I think initially it was just it was available in store and online on the same day. So if right, you wanted right. it that day, you had to go to the store. And here, even in my small suburb, there would be a line in front of the Apple store, like a, a, a sign saying "Line up here for iPhone." And for right. days and weeks after launch, it would be there were several people from Asia, several people from Latin America countries that hadn't had launches yet, and some people from Emirate countries that hadn't had launches yet. And they just all knew that if they got those phones, you know, they, that was going to pay for their year. Right. I have, I have a friend, um, who is, uh, Vietnamese and, um, her brother and they still have family there. And her brother was going to Vietnam, you know, to visit family last year. And, you know, the iPhone seven wasn't that hard to come by. He bought 10 of them and took them with him and, and resold them in Vietnam, uh, for cash and the money he made on them paid for the whole trip. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard like, a lot of people about he, doing that in the Caribbean as well. Like he's not like a professional scalper. It was just something he did to, you know, her, her younger brother did just to pay for the whole trip. It's crazy though. But yeah. it, it, imagine how, how, how I don't even, I can't even imagine how bad that's going to be uh, with the iPhone 10. Yeah. Especially, I mean, it's, it's anytime demand far outstrips supply. We, you, we have that problem. Yeah, and I just feel like and it's starting it at a thousand dollars. It's not even going to quickly right. reach a thousand dollars. And it is distinctive, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, there's the whole argument of you know how often should a new iPhone clearly look like a new iPhone? And you know, I'm of the opinion that the fact that the iPhone Seven looks largely like the Six and Success is not a problem. And I think that the success of the iPhone Seven shows that. Um, and I don't think it's a problem that the iPhone 8 largely looks the same from the front, at least. Um, but clearly, if if you are looking to 
have a phone that clearly is the new iPhone. The iPhone yeah. 10 is going to be very obvious. Uh, and you're going to be flaunting you know, that and, notch. Right. And, <laughs> you know, by all accounts, that's, that's a big deal, particularly a big deal in China, yeah. you know, where status, you know, having jewelry or cars or clothes or whatever purses and handbags and stuff like that as a status symbol is a huge deal mm-hmm. and is not seen as, uh, you know, here, here in the U S and Canada, I think there's sort of a, a, a modesty involved where, you know, it, somebody, you know, I don't want to be seen, I, I'm not getting a new iPhone so I can go out and flash it around. You know, it's, it's a different cultural thing, but in China where it's a big deal, I, I, I really do feel like the resale value on these is going to shoot up to, I, I'm not joking to 2000, maybe $2,500. May, yeah. Maybe I'm even vastly underestimating. Maybe, you know, it'll be even higher. Yeah, and it'll depend exactly on how many orders there are and how fast, how long it gets pushed out, and how soon Apple can start meeting demand. Yeah, um, what do you what do you make of reports? There's, you know, Apple doesn't say stuff like this mid quarter, and even when they do announce results, they don't break down sales by model. You have to kind of backwards engineer it from the average selling price. But there's been a couple of reports based on like surveys at. Uh, carriers that the iphone 7 is outselling the iphone 8 yeah i i've seen some good analysis of this there's a couple things like i remember uh when my father was asking me what he should upgrade to and he said you know should he get the iphone 7 and i was asking him why and he said well uh, um bell was offering him a much the, the, the discount rate for getting an iphone 7 was so good that he didn't want to pass it up you know, it was just the the incentives they were putting behind it were so great he didn't want to pass it up. But also, and I think Neil Seibert did a really good job of explaining this. Those surveys are hugely problematic because one, uh, they don't they they don't have a, a good picture. They don't have a good look at the complete picture. But also, they're often misinterpreted. And sometimes, what they mean to say is that demand for iPhone seven was higher at this exact point in time last year than demand for iPhone eight is, and that gets translated into iPhone seven is outselling iPhone eight. But it just really hmm. means that iPhone seven was more popular at that point in time than iPhone eight was, uh, and iPhone 7 didn't have to contend with another flagship phone being released just a month, you know, another flagship Apple phone being released just a month after it was. But I think in general, that stuff, I usually treat it like garbage. And I don't, I don't mean that to be insulting, but I don't think there's any relevant data uh, in there. And unless and until we hear something from Apple and we look at the ASPs and see how those fall down, I think there's very little we can draw from it other than it makes, again, it makes a great headline. Uh, that yeah, can put it does up on make their- it. I, I kind of feel the same way, and I kind of feel like any comparison to previous years is just off. It, it, there is no comparison. There's, you know, it, and it's not the. Uh, I forget who uh, somebody had a column last week. I think it was uh, Tim Culpin from Business Week about. It's more or less making it sound as though the iPhone eight is like the iPhone five C. Uh, that it that it's a that you've got a luxury problem debuting alongside a low cost device and it, the iPhone 8 is not a low cost device like and, and I really do think that in an alternate world where there is no iPhone 10 yet where yeah. the iPhone 8 is the only new phone in 2017 from Apple it's it's a good year over year up update it, yeah. it's is it you know is it world shaking no but it's good and it's you know it's it's you know what do you expect from a stable product you know a, a successful stable 10 year old established product you're not going to have an iphone 10 every year there's not going to be something as earth-shaking as the iphone 10 next year right 
No, and it goes back to that article you did from Macworld, how Apple rolls, and that they do year after year iteration, and this adds wireless charging, and it adds previous things like portrait mode and AR would peg the processor on an iPhone uh, 7 or 7 Plus, and you know that's bad for the battery, and this one has plenty of headroom on it. And it take the iPhone 7 could do photos in low light that you simply couldn't do before, where the iPhone 8 can take those photos and really make them look good, and you just you have all these benefits to it. Um, I, I think the biggest lesson Apple learned was when iPhone 6 and 6 Plus came out, there was no new iPhone 5S. And a lot of people were like, okay, I'm glad you made those big phones, but I really want the smaller phone. And they waited 18 months to get it. Because as much as some people get bored, other people really don't like change. And this year, Apple could have just, in an alternate, alternate reality where Apple just put out iPhone 10, there would have been a slew of people saying, I want a Touch ID, I like Touch ID, I right. liked having bezels on my phone, I like the home button, why did Apple get rid of it? And we'd wait 18 months to have an iPhone 7E or, or whatever it would be. Right. And now people can choose if they're reticent, if they just want I love everything about my iPhone 6S or my iPhone 7. I just want it to be better. They have that. And if it's like, I really am bored, I want something new, they have that. And Apple, I think they learned to cater to both of those markets. And you have to do that when you're talking. It's easy when you're selling a million or something. When you're selling 100 million, all those little segments really matter. Yeah, it's funny you brought that up because that's actually a point I wanted to make is that the more I think about it, the more I think that that's really the logic between the iPhone 8 and iPhone 10 coming out at the same time is is really part of it is about filling in every price point from the $350 iPhone SE up to the what is it 1150 for the the 256 yeah. gigabyte iPhone 10 part of it is about filling in every price point but i think a bigger part is really about having something for the leading edge crowd, like, yes, give me the new, new, new and it catering to the literally hundreds of millions of people who are familiar with the iPhone that evolved year over year from, from the original with a home button that you click and, you know, everything where, you know, cause I, I was confused at first when, at the event, when things like control center on the iPhone 10 moves up to the top right yeah. well why didn't it move to the why didn't it move there on all phones why is it only on the iPhone 10 why not do that if that's what you need to do to have app switching from the bottom on the iPhone 10 why not keep the two as mm-hmm. as as similar as possible and the more i think about it the more i think it's about having a phone that's a new phone that's high end has like the same, at least the, the, the wide angle camera is, is the same, you know, lens and sensor as on the iPhone 10. So you're getting a, a, you know, the same great camera, you're getting the same, uh, a 11 CPU. Uh, like you said, there's the, the digital image State, yeah. processor that, that, that ISP, takes yeah. things off the C yeah, takes things off like portrait mode off the, uh, CPU. You can get all of that stuff, but it's the iPhone you're already familiar with. Yeah. Even and the wireless feel, charging, they didn't hold anything back. Right. Right. I, and I feel, but, but it's also very familiar to anybody yeah. who has any previous iPhone, no matter where you're upgrading from, um, it, it's as familiar as possible. Whereas the iPhone 10 is obviously, a, it, it, it's always a challenge when you have a massively hit product in techno- in the technology world to how do you keep moving forward and not grow stagnant 
while still catering to the mass market that really craves familiarity and doesn't want their habits broken. Yeah, and it's also something we've suffered. We've literally suffered for not having before. Like if Apple had introduced the new MacBook, but also revved the MacBook Air or introduced the new MacBook Pro and also revved the existing MacBook Pro, even if it was just the new processors uh, and things like that, there'd be much less pressure and animosity from people who don't like the the current models. Right. It's, it's and it, you know, I, and I feel like the iPhone is so popular. It, it's... I feel like I can't even get my mind around just how many people use it. And I don't think that I, I think Apple is smart not to say that everybody who gets a new iPhone gets this thing that doesn't have a home button that moves control center to the corner that does it has a totally different way of switching between apps. Uh, I, I, I feel like that's, you know, there's an, an awful lot of people who, who would come in and even if they don't care about the difference in price, are going to look at the iPhone 10 and the iPhone 8 side by side and say, well, I want the one I'm already familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. And also, it does nicely solve the problem of not being able to produce tens, let alone hundreds of millions of iPhone 10s this year. Yeah, that was my take. You know, I wrote about that uh, before they came out, and, and I do think that plays into it. Um, but I feel like they could have done... They could have. They didn't have to take the iPhone eight as far as they did yes. to have a device th- to do that. You like know? a seven S, right? It it really is at at a just checklist. You know, if you want, you know, which I you know, I've also written about a lot. Is a terrible way to to compare products is to just make a list yeah. of features and put a check mark next to the ones that it has. But when you do that comparison, the iPhone eight compares really well to the iPhone ten. And it, what's interesting is, I mean, we talked about before the, that it looks the same, and that is intentional. Apple, re, like they did with the iPhone 5S, they rebuilt that phone almost at the atomic level. It's got all new glass, all new stainless, uh, sorry, all new aluminum. The processors are new, the internals are new, the radios are new. Everything is new. They could have made it look like anything they wanted, right. but they they intentionally made it look exa- as much as possible like an iPhone 7 or 7S, be it because they wanted that familiarity or they just believe at their design core that that is the best way to have right. a phone with bezels and home buttons and to change it for change's sake is stupid but they they made all the new stuff they have look like last year's phone and that's absolutely intentional yeah absolutely all right let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor it's our good friends at hello pillow it's uh h-u-l-l-o but they pronounce it hello so have you ever tried a buckwheat pillow it's totally different from the fluffy soft pillows that everybody's used to. When you think of a pillow on your bed, you think of something fluffy, whether it's filled with feathers or, or like polyester or something like that. It's the same type feel. A hello pillow is totally different. It is very similar to a bean bag. It's heavy and you can hear, you pick it up and you hear these uh, buckwheats. They, they, they rattle around like beans. It's very, very different. Uh, when I first heard about this, when they first started sponsoring the show, I was like, this sounds crazy. That uh, Why would you want a pillow like that on your bed? Um, but it's really, really interesting. And, uh, we've had one for years ever since they started, we've had them on our bed for years ever since, uh, they started sponsoring the show. Uh, and it really works great. It, it, it's totally different, but it adjusts to the shape of, of your head when you lay on it. And it, unlike a, a squishy pillow, um, 
stays the same all night long. It doesn't like get flatter and flatter as you sleep. Uh, and it helps you stay cool and dry compared to pillows with feathers or foam because air still gets through. Uh, pillows ab absorb and retain body heat and moisture, uh, making your pillow pill warm and humid by the, once you've laid on it for a while. But buckwheat tends to breathe better. Uh, it, 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 it just does. It doesn't get warm or anything like that. It sort of spreads the heat out. Uh, we love them. Uh, I've said before, my son has one too, and, and we've been on vacation and stay in a nice hotel and a nice bed. And like the number one thing my son looks forward to when we get home is, uh, his getting his hello pillow back. He really loves it. Um, do you do the thing I do the, I used to do this where you use two pillows or fold your pillow and attempt to get better support. Well, that's a sign that your pillow isn't thick enough or, or full enough. Hello allows you to sleep with just one pillow and you can, you can prop it up and you'll, you'll stay supported. Um, and you can even add or remove uh, the buckwheat fill from the zippered opening. So if, if when you get it, you feel like, well, this is too big, this is too big, you can just open it up, pour some of the, pour some of the buckwheat out. Or if you want to, you can order more and you can fill it up even bigger. And then you can do that and you can wash the case. You can empty it, wash the case. The, the beans, the little buckwheats, they stay, you know, for years, they stay, they don't like break or anything like that. It's a really, really great way to sleep. Uh, these pillows are made in the USA with quality construction and materials. Uh, it's certified orga organic cotton for the case, and it's cut and sewn for durability. They, I can vouch for it. I've had one for, I don't know, at least two years, and it looks brand new. Um, here's the deal. You buy it. You can sleep on it for 60 nights, and if you don't like this pillow, just send it back, and they will give you a full refund. Go to Hello Pillow, H-U-L-L-O, P I L L O W dot com slash talk show. And if you try more than one pillow, if you order two or more, you'll get a discount of up to 20 bucks per pillow, depending on the size. And you get fast free shipping on every order. And last but not least, 1% of all profits from Hello Pillow are sent to the Nature Conservancy. It's a great sponsor and a great product. My thanks to Hello Pillow. HelloPillow.com slash talk show to get yours today. Uh, so let's talk about the Pixel 2. <laughs> uh, so uh, they've, Google had a bad week. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so the, the Pixel 2's, uh, the reviews came out, I guess, it was it the beginning of the week or was it last week? I guess I it, was it was last, last week. week, yeah. And the reviews came out and they largely got good reviews. Um, but there was an interesting little uh, uh, intra-publication debate at The Verge between Dieter Bone, who wrote their, their canonical review for the two phones, and Vlad Savav, who's, who's a, a noted uh, Android enthusiast and really likes like the, the Google branch of, of Android phones, yeah. um, where Vlad came out after the reviews came out and said, hey, I've got to say this, the the XL, the Pixel, the, so there's the regular one, you know, sort of like the iPhone and uh, the 7 Pixel and 7 2 Plus. was made by HTC, and then the Pixel 2 XL is made by LG. Uh, yeah, but yeah. the the smaller one has a Samsung OLED display, and the bigger one, the XL, has an LG OLED display. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the bigger one's OLED display is, uh, I forget what... It, it, Vlad called it, but he, uh, something like a disaster. 
and said that the colors look bad, images look bad, and when you look at it at any sort of angle, everything has a blue tint, sort of like all the OLED phones from like five, six years ago did. Um, and <laughs> then it turns out about a week after these reviews came out, all the people with these review units started noticing that that the XL, the bigger one, uh, was already suffering from image retention yeah. <laughs> after, after a week, which yeah. is... Uh, not good. <laughs> I mean, they had what was interesting when you like when you do the constructed. They had several separate issues, and uh, um, full disclosure, our Android site, Android Central, I think noted at least three out of the four of those. They didn't have the burn in yet because it wasn't a week right. yet, but they noted the three main issues. Uh, so did Ars Technica, and I think Dieter Bone did as well. So some publications did not, but all, all three of those, to my knowledge, did, and so did people like like Vlad and Alex Doby on Twitter. Right. So basically, first Google tuned the display. Google went to LG to source the display. It's the same display as the LG V30, and it's a P OLED display, a plastic substrate OLED. There's really only two companies that can make OLED at any scale, and Samsung does the vast. I think it's like 90% of it, the vast majority of it. And they have all OLED is problematic. People love to say OLED is great, and it's the future. And it might be, but there's huge problems with OLED. And Samsung has worked really hard. Samsung Display, Samsung has a, is really a bunch of companies, but Samsung Display has worked really hard to make good OLED. LG makes really good OLED for televisions, but that uses filtering and a very different technology. Um, OLED is a is a umbrella term for a bunch of different display technology or implementations of organic light emitting diode, uh, and they sourced it from LG because for a variety of reasons they just couldn't get the Samsung panels. Probably because Apple was taking up a bunch of the supply by then as well. So they got it from LG, and the LG V30 has some of these issues as well. But so they got these panels, and then Google uh, has really good color management now in Android Oreo, and it's sRGB extended 16 uh, bit float, and it, it'll take like a Mark Edwards or somebody to explain that, but Basically, um, apps and developers can tag the color space they want, like standard RGB or uh, DCI-P3 or Rec 2020 or whatever they want, uh, and then it's supposed to just figure it out. But Google chose what they called a naturalistic color profile. But to many people used to like an iPhone or even the super-saturated Samsung phones, it just looked dull and drab, and it looked really washed out. And you can see that in side-by-side photos. So already it was unappealing, because people really see with their heart more than their eyes. Like you want something that... L- it's the same thing reason you have foreshortening and force perspective. Like You want to play to people's perceptions, not stark numbers in reality. And Google seems to have missed that. And then on top of it, uh, LG's POLED uh, has this problem where if you move even slightly off axis, it begins to shift towards the blue spectrum. Uh, so you've got this already it doesn't look good, and then it starts looking blue tinged. On top of that, they notice this grain pattern when you have sort of a solid color uh, and you're scrolling, especially. I think LG did something to mitigate that, but Google didn't. They just went full on with it, and you can see uh, like a sandiness or graininess. I think um, yeah. ours called it a dirty grain. Uh, inside the display, which they also found off-putting. Uh, and then you have the screen um, retention issue where or, or burn-in. I don't think anyone's sure what it is yet, but just a week later, if you go to a full, like if you bring up Daring Fireball, for example, you'll see right. the, the controls burned in, the, the menu button burned in at the bottom of the display. And some of these things you can mitigate with software. Like they could redo the color calibration they, or the color profile, and they can try to avoid the tones that bring out the graininess. Uh, but the color shifting and and things like burn in those those are those might be problematic at the hardware level. Yeah, I, I so I went to um, my local Verizon superstore here in Philadelphia, hoping that they had the Pixel twos, and it was weird. It, it, it's a really big Verizon store here, um, 
it's actually very close, not, I think not coincidentally, to the Apple Store um, here on Walnut Street. And it's a big new, sh you know, it's it's a very nice spot. And it's, you know, lots of glass, lots of sunlight. Um, so I went in. I, I'd never stepped foot in there before, because uh, why would I? But <laughs> they even had a, a kiosk, like a Google Pixel kiosk. And I went over, and it was all, it was just the Pixel 1s from last year. And I was like, oh, rats. You know, I wasted my time coming here. But I thought I'd, you know, I'd look around and then there's like in the back, it's like they have like a bunch of little, I guess, paid for kiosks from different manufacturers, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it's sort of like a little, uh, a mall within the store, you know, and, it's and like so tiny you, towns for carriers. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like a branded LG kiosk and a branded Samsung kiosk. And it's like, you know, I guess you know, that that's just the way carriers think. But then in the back wall, there's like a against the wall, it's sort of like, here's every phone we sell side by side. And I went over there and they had the Pixel 2s. So I guess it's just that okay. Google hasn't yet updated their little in-store kiosk to, for the Pixel 2s, but they did have them in the back. And so I did get to see them side by side. And the, the blue shift thing, when you tilt the phone, is, is totally real. Yeah. And it's really weird. And I guess it's not a deal breaker for me. Like... If I really wanted to use the Pixel, like my take after looking at the Pixel XXL, although this was before the image burn-in thing, and I'm curious how that in-store one, which I guess would show the same thing all day long, I'm curious how bad the if the image burn-in is bad on that one. I, I could see, I, I kind of see Dieter's, Dieter Bone's take where it, it's like he, he acknowledges these problems, but it's he still want you know he still likes the phone yeah. and i can totally see that like it's not and and therefore i can kind of see why google shipped it like if i really wanted and the plus sized google pixel it's not enough that would make me not want to use it but it is weird because like the viewing angle before you get the blue it, any natural angle where you want to be looking at your phone you don't see it it, it, you know, but it's, I, I, I could totally see though, where you're going to get it when you're taking photos sometimes, you know, because sometimes when you're holding your phone in front of you, you're not looking at it straight on. Um, or you're looking at someone it, else's phone over the shoulder or it's on a table or one of those situations. Yeah, exactly. So I, I wouldn't call it like a deal breaker, but I, I, it's like, I, it brings to mind what you referenced earlier. Like, can you even imagine if the iPhone yes. 10 had this problem? It would be front the, the, page on every biz pub for a week. Uh, it, it, you know, and, and part of it is part of that is justified based on how many iPhones Apple actually sells and how many pixels Google actually sells. Like Google doesn't sell enough pixels and the pixel isn't a, a meaningful uh, uh, part of their revenue. I, I mean, it literally might be like a rounding error. Um, and so part of the difference in attention that's paid to it is justified. But yeah, part of it, it, it annoys me. There's sort of a grading on the curve thing. And the other thing, too, is that when you're choosing between an iPhone 8 and an iPhone 8 Plus, the camera is obviously different. You can tell just by looking at the back, right, that this yep. the bigger one has two cameras and the smaller one has one. So it's right there. You can see by looking at it that there's a difference in cameras. But the screens, you're literally just buying a bigger screen. It's it. There is no difference in quality of the screens, yeah. and and which is exactly what you would think 
without being like a nerd like us who who's totally into this, just as a typical consumer who walks into the store, you'd say, well, it looks like this one has a bigger screen, but it's the same and it has a better camera. And you would be right. Whereas with the pixels, they have the same camera and they look like they have the same camera and they really do. So you'd be right to assume that. But you would think looking at them side by side that they have the same screen but it's a totally different screen. It, the 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 screen on the smaller new Pixel is so much better; it's ridiculous. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that I think are worth breaking down. One is that, um, I, I so I ordered a Pixel Two XL the day of the event. You know, it, with no hesitation because I, every year I try to get the new Nexus, and now I try to get the new Pixel. Uh, I considered canceling it because I think it would bug me. It's like Lauren Brichter can see dropped frames, and he can see the little stutter mm-hmm. on the scaling on the iPhone Plus, and he hates that. You know, some people can see those things. I think in in some it's going to bother me, but it, not enough to cancel. But also, like if there's a bad speaker, if I'm listening to a bad MP3 file, it doesn't bother me. Where I have friends with like right. golden ears, where like where again, right. like someone like Marco Michael screaming from the room because you can't take that right. bad audio. I'm totally immune to that. So I'm interested to see how bad it is. Um, but I feel like there's the difference here is that Google is allowed to get away with a lot of things that I don't think Apple does. And it's bad for the consumer. Like last year, when Google said this is the first phone designed by Google, when you know that's clearly bullshit. They collaborated on Nexus for years. And that phone was put together last minute with HTC. Uh, and we know this, but they don't get called out on it. And then this year, they said stuff like, unlike it was sort of, quote unquote, unlike Apple, if you buy our big phone, there's no difference. And there still is a difference. It has a bigger battery and it's a completely different screen technology. And it's just, it's completely disingenuous and they're not called out on it. And then we saw all these articles about how easy it is to make hardware and how Google's leapfrogging all the hardware, you know, made by Google's leapfrogging all the hardware incumbents. Uh, and it's totally not true. And it creates a very false dichotomy. Making hardware is hard and making good OLED is hard. Uh, and it's going to be interesting because I think if if iPhone 10 looks as good, it's, we, you and I have already seen it, but when it looks good i think samsung is going to get a lot of credit and they deserve they deserve all the credit in the world for making a mature oled panel but do you remember or care who made the lcd panel in the last three iphones i think most people don't and that's just as relevant as who's making this oled this is apple oled they might get like the panel the pixels from samsung but it's apple display team who did the sub pixel anti-aliasing who's doing the color management who's doing the uh, burn-in prevention who's doing like there is a slew of of apple technologies in this panel and it really is going to be apple's first oled and i think Apple's first OLED compared to Google's first OLED is is a relevant discussion. I think that that one of the reports on, uh, I forget who had it, if it was the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg, but one of the reports over the months before September's event on on the iPhone X's delay, and and let's face it, it is delayed. Ideally, it would have shipped in September, Um, but that they're not using the exact same OLED displays. I mean, they are made by Samsung, but they're not like the same displays that are in Samsung phones. Apple's are, uh, it's like the description that the the story I'm thinking of said something to the effect of Samsung's has the touchscreen embedded in the display and, and Apple's it's a, a two-step process. It's it's got more steps involved and is actually harder to manufacture. And now, Apple has the 3D actually, touch layer and they have their right. two-tone color technology. I mean, it's, it's, I think the 3D touch layer is why it's it's separate. You know, it sounds like putting it in one component sounds better, but I think the reason it's two for Apple isn't about making it look better, but about getting Touch ID in there. Or not Touch ID, uh, uh, 3D touch. Yeah, because previously 3D touch used the deformation of the glass as measured by the LED, and OLED doesn't have LEDs. Right. So you've got a completely, and I think they used a film based technology now for 3D touch. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, it, it, yeah, it, a couple of factors on this. One is that it is it shows where Samsung really has Apple dead to rights on this. Like the fact that with uh, Google's flagship phones, and they've spent a fair amount of money promoting these things. Like I watched, I've been watching the baseball playoffs, and Google had a ton of commercials during the baseball playoffs for the new Pixel phones. I mean, they're there's I don't know if the even compares to the amount of money that Samsung and Apple yeah. pay, but they're they're not like just throwing them out here and you know putting some web ads up or something like that. Um, but the fact that they're one that has a Samsung screen, everybody says this screen looks great, and the one that has an LG screen, everybody says this is garbage, and and the best people can say as well, I can live with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really shows um, just how. Uh, uh, th- there's really only one place, well, only one company to go to to get a high quality OLED display for a phone right now. Yeah, and Apple and does Samsung. use LG for watch, and they use LG for um, the Touch Bar, and LG uses OLED. It does a stripe, a RGB stripe, um, which is you know, theoretically preferable to the Diamond. Uh, currently, using they're using Diamond Pentile in Samsung displays um, because the the blue the uh, blue subpixel just doesn't have the lifespan of the red and green, mm. and it'll start it'll start evaporating faster, and you've got to do a bunch of stuff to mitigate that. Uh, and Samsung's solution is Pentel, and they can they can do it at scale, and LG can't yet. Uh, but Apple and Samsung both poured billions of dollars into LG display, and a- at the end, Apple said, we still can't use these panels, and yeah. Google's like, ship them. So uh, is the iPhone ten going to have a Pentile display? Yeah, I don't know if they call it Pentile, because I think that's a trademark, right. but it's a diamond right. pixel arrangement where you have, like, the blue... Um, sorry, the green... Uh, oval-shaped green pixels with red and blue pixels in between them. Yeah, I feel like one of the uh, many unknowns about iPhone 10 is, is something that we won't even be able to judge for a long time, is how is it going to hold up, like, after a year? Yeah, well, OLED has a shorter lifespan than... I mean, there, there, there are technologies with OLED that have a longer lifespan, but I don't believe any of them are shipping. It has a, a much shorter lifespan. But that's more of a problem for TVs, because you keep TVs 5 to 10 years where most people yeah. don't keep phones over five years. But I did sort of an... Because I, I, I sort of knew about the pentile, well, about the, the diamond-shaped thing um, when we were at the event. And I did a, a brief survey afterwards. I just asked people what they thought of the display. And I don't remember anybody realizing it. Uh, and that's because yeah. Apple's done a ton of stuff that nobody else has done with the anti-aliasing and things. And you'll hear people right. theoretically say, well, it's not as sharp as... Like, you can't you can't compare the resolutions because Stripe and, and Diamond are different. And all that is true. But when a bunch of really picky nerds were looking at them, nobody knows. Yeah, and, and you know when the when the pixels are small enough, the I'm and I again I'm with you. I, I understand. I totally believe like Lauren Brichter that he can see yeah. the scaling on the uh, on the seven plus. You know the the plus size screens. For those who who aren't paying close attention, the seven all the plus models, the six, the six S, and the seven and the eight even um, uh, run at a three X retina scaling factor. But on the fly, the phone scales it down to a slightly smaller to, to actually, you know, the, the virtual resolution of the screen that the software thinks it's running at is greater than the actual resolution of the screen. And so everything is actually scaled down by like 15 or 20 percent. But I, I don't see that. I, yeah. it's, the pixels are too small for me to see it. I, I believe that there are some people whose eyes are, are that good, but mine aren't. No, they can see a small flicker. I have a friend who, uh, when they when they drop frames on my OLED TV, he can see it. He says it makes him sick, and I totally believe him, but I don't <laughs> notice it at all. 
I think it's like VR uh, too. Some people get sick off VR or 3D and other people don't. I, I think the other thing, and, and it ties in with the Pixel, the Pixel phones. It, it, and I kind of had a, it, I thought, inter- uh, to me, the, the whole point of the Pixels isn't just, like to me, the difference between the Pixels and the old Nexus phones from Google is pretty significant. And I don't know, I don't see a lot of people writing about it. But to me, the Nexus was Google's vision for pure Android. And the difference with the Pixels to me is that it's Google's vision of a a Google-oriented version of Android, meaning it's tied into Google Assistant and other Google services. And it's not pure Android. It, it's pretty close. It's not like they, they've done like a TouchWiz or whatever Samsung does. It's not like they've put like a totally new skin on it. It is close to pure Android, but it's pure Android with as much integration with Google's other services. You know, it's, it's the phone that Google envisions for somebody who's all in on the Google uh, ecosystem. Where you've got your you know your calendars and Google Calendar, all of your email goes through Gmail. You're using the Google Assistant. You've got your uh, you know if you've got anything in your house, you're using the, the you know one of those talking assistants. You've got the Google Home. This is the phone that ties into their vision for how how all that stuff ties together, and that's different. That is very different, in my opinion. And I also think personally, just looking at them, that. They, I, I wouldn't call them iPhone ripoffs, but they are—they're obviously way more iPhone-like yeah. than current LG and Samsung and the other whatever you want to call the other top-tier Android manufacturers. There is a there's a certain aesthetic to the Samsung and LG phones that is to me I I, I don't like. You know, it's it. You know, part of it, it. I don't like. Part of it is the hardware, and part of it is just something as simple as their oversaturated color profiles for the displays. Yeah. And know, the there, just the uh, random sizing of different icons. <laughs> right. All. So I, I've heard <laughs> a story, and I think these. I think both might be true. And one is that originally with the Nexus One, Google just wanted to show what was possible with Android because they felt like you know the the industry wasn't moving forward as fast as they wanted it to. And then after that, they just really wanted a developer phone that they could get into people's hands with as close to a baseline Android experience as possible, as cheaply as possible to sort of spur uh, development and app adoption. Uh, And then uh, they had a change in leadership recently, and now the powers that be just really want an iPhone. And part of that could be motivated by fear, which is like Android came into being because Google was afraid originally that Microsoft would have such dominance in mobile that they would get locked out of search, and which was their entire business back then. And now there's sort of this fear that Samsung is so dominant on Android hardware that things like Bixby and, and, and Samsung Pay would lock Google out of the services that are going to be super important to them going forward. So they, they realize that unless you control the atoms, you never have complete authority over the device. And they, they do very much want an iPhone, which is why it's looking like the iPhone. And the, both Google and Microsoft are amazing at getting media and everybody to talk about Pixel versus iPhone and Surface versus MacBook when the vast majority of people are deciding between Android phones and Windows PCs. And those are their their real competition. And I think yeah. that's that's how Google is sort of placing this. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like the color calibration of the screen, though, says, says, says it all uh, to me, where the, the Pixels, to me, 
are and, and again look you can you can see this very like going to a Verizon store and going to the back table where they have all these phones laid out you can see it and you know I can take my iPhone out of my pocket and see that the go to the same web page and see that like the photo on the front page of the New York Times looks pretty similar on my iPhone my personal iPhone with these pixels I've, you know they're all obviously got the brightness turned all the way up in the store so to to make a fair comparison I've turned the brightness up mm-hmm. on my phone temporarily um Whereas when I look at it, like on a, a Samsung phone, the, the colors look garish to me. Yes. Yeah, they crush so the totally get and this that. <laughs> right. And, and I've seen that where there are some, like, I may, you know, I think some people act obviously like it. Otherwise, why would they do it? Some people like it. And I feel like there's other people who've gotten used to it. Yeah, it's like stores on a display in a big box. Right. You know, it's, it's always so TVs on a big box. If you're used to... Uh, if you're used to Samsung's display saturation and then you're like, but I, you know, I'd like to try this pixel phone. Cause I'd like to, you know, why not get the phone right from the maker of Android? And then you look at it and you'd, you, I could see why people are like, ah, the screen looks washed out, but it's not washed out to my eyes. It's, it's actually, you know, pretty, pretty well tuned, but it's an interesting contrast to me. The whole thing just reminds me that all this stuff is hard, and we're very easy to say, like, you know, every year, yay, it's so much better. But all this stuff is super hard. Apple's been doing DCI-P3 color space for a couple generations now and managing it across devices for a couple generations. We're Android Oreo. I mean, this is the first big implementation of this. And, uh, again, like a designer will tell you that the bigger the color space, the more room to hang yourself if you get it wrong. Like, you can really (laughs) see banding, and you can really see other issues, and you've got to be super careful and really control what you're doing there. And I think none of that is trivial. Yeah, and it's one of those things that since it's literally just with the version of Android that is just shipped, it's, you know, and, and not to make hay over this again. You know, it's an old, I mean, it just is the way it is. It's sort of like when a new Android, the way I look at it is that like a new version of Android is effectively like a public beta of from three years yeah. in the future. You know, like it's going to be at least three years before there's a significant number of people running this version of Android. And I know that there's a whole bunch of stuff that ships through the Google Play Store in the uh, whatever that library is called, the the whatever the Google standard library. Yeah. yeah. And, And there's all sorts of new features that you get with older, you know versions of android without getting a new version of the entire operating system you can get stuff but something like this like actual true color management you're not going to get until you get a phone that's running oreo uh and for you know it's going to be like two three years before that happens so who who even knows when developers of android apps are actually going to bother to do the work to actually use these apis and that's the thing because they i believe they have to tag the color space they're using and if they don't i, I think it defaults to srgb but these are dci p3 I and mean, it's it is going to be a hard problem to solve yeah. Uh, with a bunch of, ha- uh, you know, again, because you're dealing, and Google, does, as far as I know, they don't enforce the stuff the way Apple does. Like, you can put an app on the store that doesn't use the latest APIs, uh, and it's fine. And if you're not doing that, like, you'll load up your banking app, and it'll be purple instead of blue. And not, it's, it's, there's a lot, a lot of room to hang yourself. All right, let me take a break and thank our third and final sponsor. I'm very excited about this sponsor. Uh, it's new, and I'm very excited about this because they have a, a, I love what they're doing with this sponsorship. The sponsor is Flow. Flow is a beautiful project management um, app for teams everywhere. And it's an easy, beautiful way to manage your team, your project, to track tasks, stay up to date with everything that you need to do and everything that everyone on your team is doing. 
Uh, if you're having trouble managing a busy team, battling floods of emails and notifications, or just struggling to keep up with who's working on what, then Flow is for you. Uh, now, it's no secret that most project management tools are not much to look at. Flow is different. They have a world-class design team, and they've worked with companies like Apple, Slack, TED, you know, the, the conference, Starbucks, and it's, they've worked with these companies, and they've come up, their, their app is simple, but it's beautiful and easy to use, and they haven't stopped there. This year, they rebuilt Flow from the ground up to focus on making it the fastest, easiest, and most flexible way to visually plan out and manage all of your team's work. And along with the brand new look and feel, the new Flow adds a host of new features, including enhanced project and task timelines, a beautiful project overview board, and custom project colors to set status, new work tracking views, and a lot more. Now, here's the great thing. This is the thing that I love about this sponsorship. They're offering listeners of the talk show an exclusive first look at this new version of Flow. Uh, you can sign up for an exclusive closed beta of the new Flow by going to getflow.com slash the talk show. Go to getflow.com slash the talk show. And you can get in on this beta that they're doing just for listeners of the show. There's no reason that you should feel overwhelmed and distracted by tools that are supposed to help you feel organized and productive. The new flow will help you and your team focus and leave distractions behind. My thanks to flow. Go check out the, the new uh, closed beta. Getflow.com slash the talk show. So uh, anything, I, I want to wrap up soon. I want to get, we want to get yes. this show out tonight. I wanted to talk about, we, you and I both, <laughs> funny enough, like I, yesterday I spent my day writing about a piece that I, well, not just one piece, but a, a sort of series of what I would call FUD, fear, yep. that's the old fear, uncertainty, doubt on Face ID. And then you wrote one t today about a really, to me, a weird piece at, at Wired on uh, positing that Core ML is, is a vector for privacy uh, it, yep. it, Exfiltration. <laughs> uh, and I just think it's so weird that they would write this feature story about, I mean, the gist of this wired story is more or less like, Hey, a, a scammy app could use these core ML machine learning APIs in iOS 11 to like go through your photos and, uh, do machine learning on them to to learn what you're doing, what kind of photos you take, and then send you targeted ads, uh, which a would be a violation of the App Store guide. And yes. It could happen. I mean, in theory, it could happen. But the the, the thing that baffles me is that it, this is something that in theory could happen if somebody sneaks through the App Store and expressly does what Apple doesn't want developers to do. Uh, it, meanwhile, actual companies like Google and Facebook are doing yes. it on a they're, they're rampaging their your privacy model. on a daily basis. Right. <laughs> and what's worse is that with Core ML, I mean, if they didn't have Core ML, they would, and it would be smarter for them to do exactly what Google, uh, Facebook, and Instagram do already, which is just get you to give them your photos. It's the easiest way to take a weapon away from Grammaton Cleric is to ask him for it. Give me your photos, and then they do all this machine learning on their servers. With with this, they could say, find me all the pictures of bananas on John's phone. But if they did it the old-fashioned way, they would just take all your photos, look for bananas one day, peaches the next day, whatever the ad company wanted. It just it makes zero sense to me. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Uh... And so they, they quoted Will Safley, but they did it at the very end, and he's the only yeah. one who was smart, and they didn't learn <laughs> enough from what he said to just not run the article. <laughs> it was funny, because uh, – and I, I hate to impugn bad motives on, on a writer, but it, it, it's – and I'm not saying it's necessarily what happened in this case, but I, 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 I think it is, which is that uh, so often – 
a writer of a of a news piece has the article the the way the article is going to go is already yep. in their head and then they go out and find quotes to fit it and it's it's the complete opposite of how you should go and it's complete i know i'm not a reporter i don't really write news reports but i can't tell you i've always said this i can't say how many times where i've started writing something at daring fireball thinking i was going in a certain direction and then as i wrote it realized i thought something different you know that to me thinking writing is thinking and i don't really know what i think about something until i write about it totally and then when i write it goes in a way so i can't believe they ran that quote from from will because (laughs) (laughs) basically said the article was yeah no in my experience with stuff and i'm not a reporter either um you know i never went to j school my background is not in reporting i i'm like a commenter if anything commentator but uh i get pitches all the time from these companies saying we have an expert ready to tell you why apple is doing this horrific thing and i look at it and a it has nothing to do with apple and b it's usually not horrific even in this article there's like one brief aside that says also google's google's tensor flow like google's been doing the biggest push into ml and they actually do it server side and that's there's like if you want to address ml i don't see why it's 999 percent apple and then you know a brief and no mention of facebook no mention there's no mention of anything else right will Strafford quote is i suppose core ml could be abused but as it stands apps can already get full photo access so if they want to grab and upload your full photo library that's already possible if permission is granted and there, I mean, the counter argument is that they could use core ml to do to do only a few photos which you're less likely to notice but they could use geotagging or any form of metadata to get a small sampling of photos it, right. it has nothing none of this has anything to do with core ml Right. So the piece I, I wrote uh, published last night, and I've been meaning to get this off my chest for a while, and uh, I thought that the, the latest article at, at Bloomberg was a good good reason to, to do it now, was to sort uh, uh, to, to get off my chest everything I've learned since September's Apple event about the timeline of iPhone 10 and Face ID and, and whether whether and when they were trying to put Touch ID in the sensor or in the display uh, and go back and revisit all of this, not all, but because there were too many, but there were just an avalanche of stories over the summer alluding to uh, more alleging that Apple was as late as July trying to get Touch ID into the edge-to-edge display of the iPhone 10, and only when they couldn't do it or ran up against a deadline, decided to use Face ID as a fallback. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that's an exaggeration that that's the, the, you know, it wasn't just one story, it was multiple yeah. stories. Bloomberg ran some, the Wall Street Journal ran one as late as, uh, it was like just a couple of days before the event in September. Um, Still deciding, John. They're still deciding, and that didn't make it didn't make any sense to me all summer long. But I had no no sources to to refute it. But what I've heard for years is that iPhones are on a more or less it's like a two year time frame, and yeah, an iPhone ten like, was three, I think. I, I I've heard that too I, because it was you know it's so new and there's so much new in it but that it's it's a really long time designing these things but that the last year of it is pretty much locked down design wise and now they have a year to figure out how to make them at scale how to procure every single one of the components that they need at the price they need 
and assemble them mm-hmm. up to their standards, you know, that it, it's, you know, more or less a year. And uh, so it doesn't make any sense to me at all that they would, as late as the summer, would still be dithering over whether they could do something as significant <laughs> as embedding a touch ID into the display. Again, that, and I've heard they did look into that. That is, you know, the, the, there's a kernel of truth there, but that was something that they looked into like in 2015. <laughs> Yeah. It was not something that they were still trying to do this summer. I mean, I've been guilty uh, of this too. And then I got a very polite note one day saying, dude, that's like six, six to 18 month old news. And I realized how long it took for the stuff to echo out. Uh, and, and you know, uh, I, 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 it's like, I think people want it to be sort of, uh, it, there's like a, a excitement to the idea that Apple is working on something like the, iphone hardware up to the last second yeah uh but it just isn't it's just not the way it works and if you ever think you know like uh just do the math of you know 70 million iphones in a quarter divide by how many the 90 days in a quarter you're talking roughly uh, about a a million phones a day (laughs) yeah right it's give or take uh, roughly a million phones a day rolling out of Foxconn in China and going around the world. If you think about how, how you would get a production process set up to be able to do that, there's, there's no way that you can make changes at the last second. No, I mean, the, the, the biggest we've ever seen, I think is when they broke open an iPod touch and saw the unused area for a camera. Yep, I was about to bring that up. And that's the one when whenever I try to say, you know, these things are locked down months, maybe even a year in advance, depending on the quantity. And and the fact that the iPhone is so important to Apple yeah. and is made in such quantity and is often if not usually the leading edge of technology, you know, the first device Apple shipped with a touch ID sensor. Now it's going to be the first device they ship with face ID. It's yeah. it's leading, leading edge technology for the industry and the company. And it ships in the greatest quantity. That's what um, Jeff Williams had a great quote on that last week where he said, we need, we need to deliver cutting edge technology at, I was it mainstream technology scale uh, right. something along those lines. It was really interesting. Um, Whenever I bring that up, somebody who wants to refute it and, and you know, uh, whether it's just a, a, you know, random reader or listener of the show or, or somebody else who's like a, a writer who, who who maybe had a source from the supply chain alleging something like this, they always cite that iPod touch that had a was supposed to have a face ID camera and then shipped without one. And then when when people took it apart, like I fix it, you could see where it was supposed to go. But if you think about it, that's the sort of change, if anything could be done at the last minute, just omitting a part, and then not putting a hole in the top bezel. Is, yeah, no, exactly. It, 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 it's not like they added a cam- you know, like the thing that they couldn't do is add a camera at the last minute. There's no way you could not do they yes. couldn't do it. Because just that space not- would be filled with something else. Right. Not putting the camera in and not cutting a hole, you know, poking the round hole for the, the camera lens in the bezel is something you could do because you're it's it's not doing something. Right. But you can't yeah. add something. You can't add just add a touch ID sensor. And and the crazy part about it, I, it's funny because I, I had a couple of sources, people who engineers, not like people, not not Apple PR, not people from product marketing who who you might think, even though I've heard from them too, as well, corroborating that the timeline on this was nonsense, that there was no such thing going on in the summer. 
Um, but I'm talking about actual engineers who worked on this project for I don't even know how long because <laughs> they do, even though they'll tell me something like that's nonsense. We decided on Face ID over a year ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know how long they were working on the project because you know you don't ask. Um, but they it, they were just bad. Like when these reports started coming up in the summer, no one was more confused than <laughs> than the people who were involved with making the the decision a year ago that Face ID was was the way to go. Yeah, I, I think I the only thing so solid strange. we have on the timeline is Johnny Saruji when he said that they were working on Bionic for three years to get the neural nets working. Yeah, that sounds about right, right? That makes sense yeah. to me. And that means that, like, what are they working on right now? They're working on, like, the A14. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And they need – I mean, getting things like the neural networks – I mean, it sounds – it sounds funny, but they talk about those things. I don't know if we talked about this already or not, but when, when I was hearing about the Bionic, the way, the language they were using was like training a pet, not like programming a, like, or coding a computer. It's And then they have two neural networks fighting each other, essentially, one to authenticate your face and one to try to trick it. And I don't even know if they know what those things are doing anymore. It's like they let them loose and they just make each other better all the time. And a right. substantial shift in the way all this stuff works. And that's that's not something that you do in the last three months leading up to a device. No. And it's, you know, it's uh, my understanding. And, you know, they have a great white paper that's already out on on face ID security because they realize, you know, and and naturally so that people, uh, you know, it was it's so funny, though, to me that people had the exact same qualms about touch (laughs) ID. Right. They had the exact same qualms where they were like nervous about their, you know, rightly so that, you know, I don't know if I want my fingerprint stored in this. Is it going to is it actually going to store my fingerprint? The answer is actually no. It stores like a hash based on your fingerprint. Is it going to be uploaded to iCloud or something like that? No, it actually stays on the secure processor. Can apps read my fingerprint? No, because it's on the secure enclave. It's not like a a thing you can only, you know, an app can ask you to verify your fingerprint, but it never actually sees your fingerprint, et cetera, et cetera. People had all these uh, qualms about it and and were nervous about it. And combined with that thought that Touch ID wasn't going to work well because other companies like sort of dirtied the water by shipping shitty fingerprint sensors beforehand. Uh, And now, now here we are and people want touch ID, you know, or like, I, I don't know. I don't know about this face ID thing. I'm going to, yes. why can't they, I might wait till next year when they bring touch ID back. <laughs> I went through <laughs> customs on my way to the launch event at, uh, times at New York, sorry, uh, fifth Avenue. And when I got there, I said, the guy said, well, where are you, why are you coming to America? And I said, I'm going to the iPhone eight launch at you know, fifth Avenue. And he said, Oh my God, Apple with their face ID. Now they're going to be storing our, alfa- our photos. We'll have a national CCTV database. And there goes the privacy. I've got a pin number and no one's ever breaking it. And I'm like, right. you, you just saw me do an iris scan and fingerprint scan right before right. I spoke to you. And I'm pretty sure your government stores that in an Equifax database. And like, there, there's nothing about what Apple's doing that's scary, but what you're doing already is really scary. Uh, I, I just think it's so, f- I, I don't know, but I do feel, and I feel like that that's where that, that these stories that have been circulating, uh, I, I don't know where they come from. I get the end of the art. I don't want to spend a lot, lot, long time, time in the article speculating about it. I just wanted to shoot it down and say, look, I've talked to people. I'm who I'm a hundred percent convinced by that these decisions were made over a year ago and that the iPhone eight or iPhone 10, I'm sorry, hardware was locked down by the end of last year, probably about a year ago, but at least by the end of last year. Um, but in terms of where do these rumors come from? I, I, 
I don't know. I, I think the simplest answer is, and I think I stole it from you, honestly, is that it, it just, that that's just how long it takes. It takes nine to 12 months for decisions that Apple makes on hardware to percolate out to the rumor sites and to the reporters who write stuff like this and to the analysts. That's just how long it takes. It takes about nine to 12 months. And then so nine to, you know, decisions that are being made at Apple, like this week about next year's iPhone, uh, it, like nine months from now will be reported as though they're, uh, that's what they're thinking about right now. Yeah, and I think the other issue is that um, and we they get a few things. And like we've been there too. We'll hear a few things. But it's usually out of context. And the context is critically important. Like you can listen to this story and you can see you can hear them say Apple reduced touch I, um, face ID accuracy. But that's you know, how they got there is not entirely clear to me. A lot of times we saw this with Apple dual sourcing the A9. Apple will say we need this component to do 10. Anything we need this component to be under 10, and they'll say 9.3. Sure. Oh, sorry, we can only do it at scale at 9.7. Uh, Apple's like that's still under 10, right? Yes, go. Uh, and as long as it's under 10, it's perfectly fine. And the difference between three and seven, if someone wants to leak that, we'll get a story in the Wall Street Journal. Apple changes spec from three to seven. It's like, no, no, that spec was always 10. And the supplier adjusted till they could meet capacity inside that that spec. And I think that's the sort of stuff we have here. But um, it's reported without the context. Either the people don't know it or the reporters aren't able to extrapolate it. Uh, and it's just, it's fed to us like Apple is is uh, conning us or, or, or misleading us in some way. And it's not true at all. It's the way a product is manufactured. Is that, and these decisions happen millions of times in every product. And I think it's just we're literally being made stupider by the way this stuff is being reported now. Yeah, the the Bloomberg story that yesterday that prompted me to write was something to the effect of that Apple uh, lowered the standards for Face ID in order to meet production goals, and it, it it very clearly suggested that Face ID is not as accurate as Apple wanted it to be to do this. Whereas if you actually read the article and see what they actually have, you, you can't draw that conclusion yes. at all. It could be the case. That could be the case, but it there's no reason to think so. And the thing that really stuck out with me in that story is they don't say when this, when this lowering of a specification happened. Because if it happened before September, everything that Apple promised about Face ID, like the one in a million chance of somebody else's face unlocking your phone. Isn't that the number that they said? Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it could be based on that, you know, the, the the lower standard, you know, like maybe they were looking at one in five million before. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's the accuracy it, that they needed. It, it, it doesn't really matter what actually they wanted. They probably wanted the greatest accuracy in the history of the universe. But the actually they needed to shift the product was... This right. has always exceeded the, that, that level. Right. But the story got traction because it feeds into people's suspicion yeah. that Face ID is not going to work well. And that well, touch I, ID, and and, and it, that's this. It's the exact same thing that feeds into that, plus the the sort of natural desire for the familiar. That I I, I just can't tell you how many times I see on Twitter where some people are saying, "I'm going to wait this iPhone 10 out, yeah. go for the iPhone 11 next year, which will bring Touch ID back." Because <laughs> people really, people really believe these stories. There's so I mean, there's no way like one article at Daring Fireball is not going to change the the belief. Yeah. Uh, uh, people believe what they want to believe, but there's an untold number of people out there who are 100% convinced that Apple tried to put Touch ID in iPhone 10, failed, and it'll be back next year. 
but I'm, you know, you and I know that is not going to happen. No, and the the thing is, like, it's I don't want to say it's apparent because Apple doesn't communicate a lot. But if you look at the way the Touch ID is built, it's it's not Touch ID; it's biometric identification, and the entire API is built that way. Yeah. Uh, Apple or the app asks for biometrics, and then it's up to the device to deliver whatever it can, whether that's touch, whether that's face, whether that's going to be something else in the future, like gate, whatever. The entire system is built to be independent. Touch ID was one possible solution to how do we make it more convenient to get into your device, but it's not the only solution, and it may not be the best solution. And now. Apple has what they think is a better one. So for them, it's like, bye-bye Touch ID, thanks for all the years, and Face ID goes right in there. And if they think of a better thing in two years, we'll get that instead as well. Right. And one thing I I asked about uh, privately to people who worked on it was whether it was ever even on the table to do both Face ID and Touch ID, and the answer was no, for the obvious reason that, like what you just said, it's just one, you know, from an API perspective, it's just Give me a biometric authentication. Yeah. So if you had both, what would what would it do? It would be so totally confusing. Like it, it's the sort of thing I could see Samsung doing. I think they they even have done it where they have yeah. fingerprint yeah, scanners. The, yeah, the Galaxy right. S8 has a fingerprint scanner, an iris reader, and a face scanner. Uh, you know, and and they they give you a warning that the face their face scanner isn't all that great, so you can't even use it for things like authenticating a purchase. It's only for like unlocking your phone. And or you something, have to choose you know. one or the other. One works in daylight. One works in nighttime. They can't both work at the same time. You've got to pick one. Right, and you know, uh, there's all sorts of things to complain about with Apple. You know, uh, across the board, and but one thing is that they're never going to make you make decisions like that like no. it's goofy it would it would just be it would even make setting up the phone more of a pain in the ass because you know you'd have two things to to set up it's the same with oled i mean samsung famously makes you switch between profiles to get proper color for a photo versus uh like a movie or something and no human being is ever like if if, if my parents had the phone they would never do that they would just sit there and wonder why the photo looked weird or something right. where with apple's oled even though it's the same company making the panel you you never have to worry about the color management they take care of that and they they combine the, the uh, true tone color management in at the same time Right. I mean, we we'll see soon enough. You know how well they, Face ID actually works, but uh, they can't and, get a calculator and, to read all your input. But they can <laughs> do all that. I guess we should talk about that before we wrap up. That was my favorite thing this week. <laughs> was so on the iOS 11 calculator. If you type really fast, not, not, you don't have to be like a, a speed typist, but just as fast as you can, type in like with two thumbs, one plus two plus three. You'll probably get. 24 yes. because the second hit on the tap on the plus button won't register and you'll instead get one plus 23. And the reason is, is some, somebody uh, on the calculator team added like a, a, a four tenths of a second animation for the uh, operator buttons, plus yeah. minus divide and times. And while it's animating, you can't press it again. Yeah, that's the bug. <laughs> right. That's the bug. The bug is, is you know, you can, uh, whether you like a- Apple's slow animations or not, uh, and I kind of don't. I kind of wish they'd yeah. speed a lot of these animations up, frankly. Animators and, and, love you watching their animation, but nobody else wants to sit there watching your animation. Right. And I can't help but think that, like, Saruji's team is like, oh, my God, this is so much faster than it looks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, this app is launched already and running, and yet you're yeah. showing me z- zooming out and zooming in. It's already running. We're, That's totally fine. So much- <laughs> but even if you just hit the plus button over and over again, it'll ignore every second tap on that plus button. Which right, is because it's, 
Right. It, but it, it, it does make me wonder, and again, I'm not one of the... Uh, uh, I, I don't think Apple's software standards have gone to hell. I, like I'm not in that camp, uh, but I do, <laughs> I do have my complaints, and it does make me question this because if I w were working on iOS and I got the job of re, you know redoing the calculator, you know with a new design because yeah. you know the iOS 11 calculator looks new. Uh, I think somebody told me that it might be written in Swift. It might have actually been one of the few first system apps that are written in Swift. I don't know if that's true or not. And I, it's beyond my technical abilities to, to investigate that, but it certainly looks new. Um, yeah. So if that was my job to, you know, here's the design, here's what it's supposed to look like. Uh, and I'm writing a calculator app, like I'm building and running and I'm putting it on my phone and I'm doing things like typing one plus two plus three, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think you need a, even a separate QA team. Like I find it no. baffling that uh, even if it was just one engineer, that they wouldn't have run into <laughs> wouldn't have run into this just while running their own app. That's why I before, smiled like, when you said calculator team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I don't think they need a team. I'm guessing it's you know. I think you know. No, it's, I mean, like my guess is that it's it's one engineer and they're doing several things and they have a, a a list of bugs, including showstoppers, that they have to get done before shipping. And this was somewhere on that list and just again, as egregious as it was, it didn't get gotten to. And uh, I, I understand it's fixed on some internal builds now. It's not fixed for me, at least on the current beta that came out yesterday. But I have heard that on on an internal build, it's already fixed. <laughs> Doesn't mean I mean like it should never ever happen, and it's comedic, and there's many many examples of this. You know, they totally have to get all this stuff under control. But and then I saw in the midst of this, and it made for a you know obviously the the Apple software is going to hell in a handbasket. Crowd loved this. Uh, uh, James Thompson, who does the yes. <laughs> excellent Peacock app, had a great fun with it, and the Peacock Twitter account. I should put yep. that in there. Uh, and it's funny. It just speaks to me and my friends where I, a lot of my friends are like, I never noticed this because I use PCALC. <laughs> and I, I filed the radar and my radar account is no way tied. Like, I don't think anybody who sees my radar is know who I am. It's a totally different email address. Right. Um, but I put it on and it, it's, it looks like it's already been followed up on. Yeah, it's, you know, it's got to be an easy fix, but uh, it, it is it is kind of amusing. And, and it just plays into people's worse suspicions about you know the state of apple well i mean <laughs> to go back to what we were talking about with google like I, I i think every company should be held to the standard it's better for us if we complain about everything it's one of my favorite things about syracuse is that you know you want to hold these companies to the highest standards imaginable and all of them to those standards yeah uh and then the other thing that really cracked me up is in the midst of this discussion i saw at least one tweet from the the there's that won't accept any criticism of Apple contingent, you know, sort of the opposite of the uh, Apple's going to hell in a handbasket con yep. contingent who said that you should just hit equals after each operation like a, <laughs> like a normal person. And I really, I, I looked at that tweet long and hard to try to decide whether it was being sarcastic or not. And I don't, I don't think it was. Yeah. I mean, so, the, the internet is really bad at multiple, like uh, you mentioned earlier, but like the horns, I like, I like calling them the horns or the notch because it sounds more Federighi like to me. Hmm. It's like even the horns, like I think they're going to bother me, but all the people I know at Apple who've been using the phone doesn't really bother them. But like you, you look at the decision-making process, everyone on Twitter thinks they're stupid uh, and has put up all these 
why don't Apple just do this? Apple tried 30, 40, 60 different variations before they chose this one. And, you know, they could have not made horns to begin with. That was an incredible amount of work to get the display cut out like that and to get the, the you know, that's a lot of silicon just to, to fill that display properly. Uh, and then they chose not to pave them over. And you know, there's a whole bunch of decisions that go into all those things. And you, you can you can totally hate them, but it's it's... Uh, it's a choice of not having an edge-to-edge display or having right. one with compromises. Uh, and this yep. is not that. This is just them <laughs> badly coding a calculator app. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Steve Jobs. This is You're not a debate, yeah. You're calculating wrong. Well, that's just the thing is they always these stories about like, you know, if, if, if this like Apple is lost without Steve Jobs, under Steve, this would never have shipped. There's, <laughs> calendar was crap for a decade under Steve right. Jobs and all sorts of th- bad things like bad, bad products, bad bugs, bad mobile me shipped under Steve Jobs. Right. And, you know, I, yeah, I've seen that, too. Like, you're never never got these rounded corners and a notch if Steve Jobs were here. It's like, hey, dude, did you ever look at uh, Aqua and t- Mac OS 10.0? I mean... And he loved it, it yeah. you know? Yeah. That was brushed, I mean, Scott, metal. Scott Forstel gets all this crap for um, photorealistic design, but that was right. not the, the stitched leather from his private plane that we had in right. Find My Friends. <laughs> I forgot about that in the calendar. <laughs> Rich Corinthian leather. Anyway, anything else you wanted to talk about this week? I want to wrap this up so we can get the show out, out, out the door. No, I just want to go pre-order, frankly. <laughs> all right. Good luck. Thank I you, really sir. wish you luck. Thank wish you, me too. Luck. All right. Thank you, Renee Ritchie. Everybody can read uh, Renee's stuff at iMore. And uh, on Twitter, he's easy. I just, here's the one I remember. I, rem- I often forget uh, like Serenity's uh, t- uh, Twitter name. But yours is easy. It's uh, Renee Ritchie yes, on sir. Twitter. All right. Thanks, for, thanks, Renee. Thanks, John.